mad. Mutually assured destruction, also known as mad, came about with the proliferation of nuclear weapons after the Second World War. We reached this strange moment in history where, if one geopolitical superpower decided to unleash nuclear war, then the ensuing exchange of nuclear warheads would be enough to potentially destroy all life on Earth. It is mutually assured destruction. If one nuclear power attacks another, it is pretty much guaranteed that everybody will die in the, in the, in the following conflict. So, since the Cold War, we've lived in a strange balance of powers. The Cuban Missile Crisis led us pretty close to that edge, but the balance has held. So even today we know that devastating force is held in reserve, but if ever the balance of power and cooperation among nuclear states was pushed too far, everybody on Earth would lose. I use this as an analogy for human relationships. There are certain relationships once entered into, reach an equilibrium where an attack can start an exchange that destroys both parties. Sure, we're not suspicious enemies, but there is a power in relationships that can destroy lives. As long as we join together in love and service to one another, our relationships can flourish. Yet if one or the other party decides to tear themselves loose or to destroy the other, then both lose. Friendships are not forever, yet many of us have known those friends that are closer than a brother. When we are betrayed by that person, we feel like we can never trust again. We feel as though a stake has been driven into our heart and the wound will never heal. The perpetrator of the betrayal is left with guilt, one that they will try and assuage with excuses and distractions, but it can only be resolved with repentance and rest restitution. They depart under a cloud of shame, covered in prideful stubbornness, and you leave with deep, festering wounds that threaten to derail the course of your life. Family is probably where this principle plays out most destructively. Firstly, God has designed marriage to be such that two become one. And when you try to take one and divide it by two, you get two broken halves. Divorce is a propagator of untold mis misery, and even in the permitted cases of divorce under God's law, there is still betrayal, trauma and hurt that cannot be easily addressed. In that moment, divorce can seem like a good option, but the ensuing destruction and pain for all involved can be greater than the initial detriment caused in a relational breakdown. Secondly, other familial relationships are barely any less destructive. Where there is a strife and discord sown between mother and son, or sister and sister, or any other mixture between uncles, aunts, grandparents, and so on, it is as though there is a bomb in the family, but nobody knows how long the fuse is. We can end up with family situations where everybody walks around on eggshells and puts on airs so as not to disturb the sleeping giant slough stuffed under the floorboards. Or someone sets off the bomb and the family splinters into angry factions, or we just learn to live in an, in an environment of perpetual conflict. I'm sure you've seen these trends play out, if not in your own life, then in the lives of others that you care about. But it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all bad news. Knowing mad is a possibility in your relationships should also reveal to you the power and effect that your role holds you hold in your hand the power to build or destroy. 
It is as though you have a hammer in your hand, a simple yet effective tool, but it can be used for building up or tearing down. You can be a builder of relational beauty or a one-person demolition crew. If you unleash on others, you can take them down with you. Or conversely, you can build them up in love to create relational edifice of eternal significance. In terms of sexual difference, it's worth noting here the disproportionate effect that women have on our relationships. They, in, in several respects, are the relational glue that hold our society together. And thus, you ladies hold great influence over your closest connections. Use this influence with heavenly wisdom. Will you be the Holy Mother Mary or the sabotaging Jezebel? Legacy-building Axa or scheming seductress Delilah? Proverbs 14 verse 1 reminds us, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Mad is a possibility in all close relationships, and we're not being mean by recognizing this fact. In fact, having the clarity to see the risk helps us see how the only way forward is mutual trust and love. If we pull back from one another because of the possibility of being hurt, we only hasten the likelihood of relational destruction. And similarly, the more overbearing or dominating we are, the more we drive others away. We need to meet in a generous, loving middle that does not discount the equalities of the relationship, nor our personalities, or past hurts, so that the inevitable speed bumps may be negotiated without recourse to warfare. Let's imagine for a moment you find yourself in a position where the other party has launched a preemptive strike and is acting in such a way as to blow up your relationship. The gospel shapes how we respond. The natural reaction is to launch your own retaliatory strike so that you can take them down with you. But the way of Christ would have us act quite differently. Instead of reacting with blows and barbs, we respond with the love of God. For instance, from Luke chapter 6, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And in Luke 17, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. A momentary word to the peacemakers among us. For some of us, our default in the midst of conflict is to placate and to try and cover issues. It seems like the quickest route to peace to just give them what they want. And so in our discomfort, we immediately give over. And while certainly we should be willing to let love cover a multitude of sins, as per 1 Peter 4.8, we ought not just let sin go unchecked, especially if it is an egregious or habitual sin. The verse above says clearly that forgiveness in relational sin should start with rebuke. If the other party doesn't recognize and repent of their sin against you, you should pursue the hard option of pointing out the sin in accordance with God's word, so that the issues can be resolved through repentance and forgiveness. Returning to the greater theme, the gospel shapes our response by, by bringing forgiveness and love to the table. 
in the same that we ha- way that we have acted terribly towards God, and yet he forgives us, so too we must forgive those who sin against us. See Matthew 6, 12-15. We have something now which can stop the cycle of destruction in our relational conflicts. In our interpersonal relationships, we are called to wear it with long-suffering, mercy and kindness shaped by Jesus' own example. In fact, if we are in the right and we suffer for it, it's actually a blessing for us, as per 1 Peter 3.14. So now, if we are practicing the gospel way in our relationships, although we have the risk of tearing each other down, now here is the antidote that undoes mutual destruction. The other party may yet self-destruct, but we need not contribute to it, and we pray and hope that our own response of loving forgiveness will in fact stop an unfolding conflict in its tracks and move us towards reconciliation. Let's imagine for a moment that you find yourself in a position where you are contributing to the destruction in a relationship, either as the one who started it or in response to what others did to you. What do you do? Stop. Stop perpetuating the cycle. Humble yourself, firstly before God, recognizing that you've sinned against Him, receiving His mercy, then humbly repent toward the other party that you have wronged. Be specific, lay out your wrongs without dulling them with excuses, then ask for forgiveness. If you realize down the track some other sin that you had committed against them, go back to them and lay that out too. And yes, it will be a humbling experience, but it is the path to restoration. Then, seek to make restitution, that is, pay back what you took from them. Relationally, this can be hard to measure, but don't try to measure uh, paying back your debt to them as if you can check it off on your to-do list. Instead, try to outdo one another in showing love and pay it back fourfold. Overcome your previous evil with overflowing good. Like the tax collector did when he repented in Luke chapter 19. It may be that your relational destruction that you started keeps on going after you have stopped adding fuel to the fire. It's like trying to dam a river after you just blew up the dam. It's hard to stop. And your temptation in that moment may be to puff yourself up in pride, as if the fact that you repented first somehow makes you better than the other party. You need to live with the consequences of your sin. You need to live with the consequences of your actions, taking responsibility for them even long after the sin has stopped. While your sin is atoned for before God and in the grand scheme of things, every wrong will be set right by God in his true justice, we still live among the earthly consequences of our sin. The guilt is taken away in Christ, as are the eternal consequences, but the temporal consequences may still continue, even for a lifetime. And you, who are on the receiving end of another's relational sin toward you, When you forgive, you may need to practice that forgiveness in an ongoing way, not just a once-off. Especially, as noted above, if the effect of their actions has long-lasting consequences, you may find yourself having to forgive again and again in your heart when you're tempted to grow bitter under the ongoing weight of another's choices and actions. Once more, 
This must flow from Christ at work in us, sacrificing ourselves so that God's love is made manifest through us, just as God's love on the cross was made manifest through the sacrifice of Christ himself. In the natural course of human affairs, we expect human relationships will face trouble and difficulty. Mutual destruction is a possibility when a relationship goes bad, but it is also a sign of the great power that you have that can be applied positively. When relational battles begin, you can stop the seemingly inevitable cycle with Christ-like love, repentance, and gospel-shaped reconciliation. A last verse from the Bible, from Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another.